It can cost kids and parents several hundred dollars to play a single sport in high school. Could there be big changes to the pay-to-play system in Ohio? I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Thomas Bradley. This is After the Score. Welcome to After the Score, 89.7's weekly look at sports. This week we'll talk about a TV deal that puts nearly all of the Columbus Crew games on over-the-air TV channels here in Central Ohio. We'll also look at the increasingly dim chances of the Ohio State men's basketball team making the NCAA tournament. But first, it's a phrase that's become all too familiar with parents in recent years, pay to play. That's the basic idea of kids, or more likely their parents, having to pay money to participate in high school sports. And the costs can add up quickly. Yes, several hundred or even in some cases more than $1,000 per kid per sport. It's become a major cause of Republican State Senator Cliff Height. He represents the Finley area and is also a former high school football coach. He joins us now in studio. Mr. Height, thanks for coming in. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. Most people over 40 won't really remember this pay-to-play being an issue. Uh, it's, it seems to be a, a recent thing, especially since like the 1980s or so. About when is, – is the 1980s correct? Is this when this started to happen? And I guess more importantly, why is it so popular these days? Um, I think 70s, late 70s, 80s maybe started. It was huge in 2005 to 2009, like 70 schools went to it. The thing is a lot of people said the cost of running schools got – too tough on them. And so they had to make choices. So are we going to have levies? And if levies don't pass, then what are we going to do? Is this because of increasing technology costs or the money had to be redirected somewhere generally? Well, I hate to tell you the real reason because I'm a former teacher and a coach, but it's it's wages and benefits is really hurting the most. It really is. They keep continuously going up even when schools get frozen from the state at different years. You know, salaries still go up and it's tough. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I don't want that to get curtailed, but it's just uh, – it's reality. The thing is, is that some schools just kind of use the uh, sports like, well, if we don't pass our levy, uh, we have to go pay to participate. And people say pay to play, and boy, that's a big mistake because if they do, um, you could have a lawsuit. Because if you're paying to get into a sport, it doesn't mean you're going to play. It just means you can participate in the practices of the JV team, or but you may not get in on Friday night. So schools are careful not to call it pay-to-play? It would be a mistake if they said pay-to-play. They, they mm. should say pay-to-participate. So what is the normal extracurricular fee to play football in the state of Ohio right well, now? Well, Steve, Tom just asked the best question in the world because – it's different everywhere you go. When we did our road show, and I think you're probably aware we did Yeah, the a, series of forums you held around the state. Yes, exactly. Um, we got anywhere from like $100 per kid per sport with a $200, $250 cap to all the way up to $1,000 per sport per kid without a cap. So it's different all over the place. And the ones that came and reported to us were not the high expensive ones, except for one school. Most of them were the ones that are saying, we're charging a minimal amount. It really doesn't even cover all our expenses, but it helps us defray some of that differentiation between what the athletic director says he needs to pay for his, his sports and what they're actually intaking from ticket sales. Because ticket sales have gone down over the years. It just has. Mm-hmm. The, you know, Friday night was the thing when I was growing up. It's just not quite the same thing anymore. So because they're differentiated, Tom, it, it's like – it's it's hard to – in other words, one size can't fit all. That's the problem right. we have. And so we're trying to see what we can do by gleaning all this information and come up with some kind of plan 
And, of course, my idea was just maybe the school ought to tell us what they're spending on first before we go to the next step. So that's where you want to start the process of possibly fixing this issue. Again, this might not be an issue for kids in Dublin or Owentangy, but it is going to be an issue for kids in Linden or or in Finley, the area you represent, or my whole town of Richwood, where $1,000 is a lot of money. And you're saying that the process to possibly fixing this problem for a lot of communities is transparency. That's where the how the ball gets rolling? No question. And Steve, here's the thing. New Albany, one of our Fifth richest Very well to do area. Yeah. They're charging six hundred and fifty dollars per kid per sport without a cap. And it might not be that big a deal to a parent who works at Bob Evans out there or something. Well, like but that. they they said if we don't do it, we might have to lay off X number of teachers. Nobody mm-hmm. wanted to do that. So here's here's Steve. This is an important part. What, what I want to make doggone sure through this process is that we don't eliminate any extracurricular or co curricular activity or any teacher because of what we're trying to do at the state level. So what I'm asking people is do exactly what you said earlier. You know, be transparent. Show us what you're doing. Now, I can't flex my muscles, which obviously you can tell I don't have very many left. But, I mean, I can't sit there and say, you need to report to me because, what, I did a road show? So that means if we have to eventually look at legislation down the road, well, we may have to. I mean, I'm not going anywhere. And I'm also the chairman of this new Joint Education Oversight Committee, which within our purview, pay to participate would would fall under. So you sit there and you go, okay. I'm going to maybe harass or try to encourage or admonish at least schools. But in those two years, I would like the people of the villages to go to their boards of education and say, where's the money going? Because we found out that some money goes into the general fund and then the athletics get paid for it. Like 61% go into the general fund. And we heard testimony. This was what was disheartening for me. We heard testimony that in one particular school, and honestly, I can't remember the name or I would even say it, the money did not go to athletics. Some of it. Some of it didn't. Some of it didn't. I think the people have a right to know, I yeah. mean, where their money is going. And it, 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 okay, very easily. Let's say Tom's got a kid that's in lacrosse and he's paying $650. I think the $650 ought to go to lacrosse and not an, an addition on your building. I, I just think that's fair. If you need an addition on your building, you tell your people, we need money for an addition, and then they decide. But if they're using money through pay to participate for other things, I think that's egregious. And so, plus, Steve, we don't know the number of kids that are being left out. We just don't have that number. Well, it's, it's, it's really impossible to quantify. The exactly. kid doesn't, a kid doesn't play football because there's an exorbitant fee. You don't know that. I mean, you would never know that. Well, that's Steve, if, if you didn't have the money, the exorbitant fee, you might not want people to know you can't afford to yeah, it'd be embarrassing for a high school kid. Yeah, I, there you, see, you got it. You understand. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned New Albany, $650 for sport. Obviously, that's probably on the higher end. So you're looking at a three-sport casual athlete in high school paying well over $1,500 a year just oh, yes. to, to casually play sports. It's it's a problem, but if the school district says they need this money, we've got a Republican-backed legislature that doesn't want to raise taxes. We've got property owners who certainly don't want to raise taxes. If they say they need that money, we can have all the clarity in the world. Where would that money come from? Well, there, that's another $64,000 question, almost literally. But it would have to come either from private entities, restructuring your entire budget process, getting ADs to learn how to streamline their, their budgets a little better because that, that, that revenue stream 
is important, but they might be able to learn more by using the Ohio High School Athletic Association. Well, they do their continuing education credits or something like that, because I want the OHSA to be involved in this. I don't know if, if, if they agree or not. I haven't had that discussion because we haven't forced anything on them, but set it up so they can help these ADs. Look, look I mean, you don't need the third uniform and the fourth uniform and the fifth mm-hmm. uniform in basketball. But, okay, so you're going to have a special camouflage because you want to honor veterans, or you're going you're to do pink because you want a, a breast cancer awareness, and you want to do that. Well, those are nice things, but these schools aren't Oregon, where they got Nike buying uniforms for every five seconds, you know? Right. And, and it's, it gets out of hand. So what I'm saying is I am for local control, but I'm not for local out of control. And some of these places are out of control. And, so, and that's what we need to look into. You held these listening tours in various cities around the state. What were some of, I don't know, maybe the more surprising reactions you heard, or what were some of the things you learned during this listening tour? Well, that the arts are very much involved in the co-curricular, extracurricular aspect as well. Um, You're talking I, about pay to play to be in bands in or some places. Like that. In some places, and that I, was a lot more than I thought. I, I was a cello player in high school. I played football for free. I played the cello for free. I never thought about that mm-hmm. because you said we over 40 and I'm just slightly over that by <laughs> 21 years. And so, yeah, but I, I didn't realize that we're excluding people from the arts too. And I said, not today, but if if a kid hasn't been exposed to Mozart's Requiem and hasn't built up this, this uh, desire to cry because it just moves you so much, then... Um, we haven't done our job, but I'm just kind of being flippant with that one. But I, I believe that, but it's, but I, that's not the whole thing. It's just I believe that more exposure to more things helps a kid be more well-rounded and helps them succeed after they leave school. And the, here's the thing. Uh, the Secretary of State had all these statistics of the number of people that are now being born into um, families without mom and dad. And so the chances of them being successful are already diminished. And then— there's the poverty element, the socioeconomic element, and you start looking at it, it's a lot worse than it was back when I was a kid, and much worse in the state of Ohio for many people. And so what are these kids going to do if they're not in extracurriculars, if they're not in a chess club, if they're not in a Spanish club, if they're not singing or dancing or they're not playing an instrument or they're not in all these sports? Well, then what are they doing after 3 o'clock? And that is a concern. Cliff Height represents the Finley area in the Ohio State Senate. He has hosted a series of forums around the state hearing from parents about their concerns over fees to play sports. Thanks again, Mr. Height. Steve, I appreciate it. And Tom, I appreciate you giving me the time. Thank Thank you. We mentioned last week that the Ohio State men's basketball team faces an uphill battle to make the NCAA tournament, and that climb got even steeper this week with a loss to Michigan State. The Buckeyes are now 18-11 and 11 with just two games left in the regular season, both against top 10 teams. And to be quite, quite honest, it's not looking good for the Buckeyes. It's really not. On the phone now, Adam Jardy, who covers the Buckeyes for the Columbus Dispatch. Adam, they basically have to win the Big Ten tournament or maybe a, a second-place finish at best to make the tournament now, right? Yeah, basically. I mean, for them to reach the tournament at this point, obviously, if they win the Big Ten tournament, they're in. Um, Anything short of that, it's really hard to project them making it. Um, I mean, they do set up here the rest of the regular season with, uh, you know, a home game against Iowa and a road game against Michigan State. So 
two chances for some quality wins. And then, you know, if they get in the Big Ten tournament and were to win two or three games, you know, that would certainly help their cause. But, you know, they just – they at this point, their resume is just kind of hollow, and they don't have the quality wins that they need. The, the bottom of the Big Ten being so poor this year has really hurt them. Where actually, when you look at their strength of schedule, non-conference compared to in-conference, everybody likes to criticize Ohio State for not scheduling quality uh, non-conference opponents. Their strength of schedule out of the Big Ten is actually stronger than their strength of schedule in the Big Ten this year. The bottom of the Big Ten has been so terrible. And the the loss of Jay Sean Tate, he's now out with a shoulder injury. He needs surgery. Was that pretty much the nail in the coffin for this improbable run? Yeah, I mean, you could probably say that. It's he just he does so much for that team. I mean, the way that he plays, um, numbers aside, just what he brings. But he's a guy that. Throughout the season, Thad Mata has talked about how he doesn't know what he's going to get on a given night from just about anybody on the roster. This team's too young, too unproven, too inconsistent for him to really have an idea. Like, okay, this guy's going to give me this, and this guy's going to give me this, so we can we can expect this. Pretty much the only thing he's been able to bank on all year is that Jayshon Tate's going to come out and play with intensity and heart and passion, and he's going to do what he can to try to fight and scratch and claw and get them some points and some wins. And so, you know, when you take a guy like that out of the rotation, you're you know you're losing. Uh, he was their leading scorer in Big Ten play. Um, he'd scored in double figures uh, going into the Michigan State game in 10 of their um, 15 Big Ten games, which was best in the, on the team. Um, you know, he just he does so much for them. And so to lose a guy like that at this point in the season when you're already facing an uphill challenge, I mean, you know, when you end the season with Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan State, those are three chances for quality wins. But they were going to be hard wins even with Jay Sean Tate. So you look at it now and you look at without Jay Sean they lose to Michigan State by 19 on their home court, which is the, the biggest loss to Michigan State since that amount came to Ohio State. It just you, It's hard to project them, them really kind of rallying or, or getting a whole lot better than where they are because they don't have a whole lot of time to change course. Jay Sean Tate kind of went viral last weekend in that game against Nebraska. He slapped the floor, kind of challenging the, the guy with the ball to come at him. The guy blew right by him. It was, a, it was a pretty funny video, and there were some rumors that that's how Tate injured his shoulder, but that's not true, right? That's not even close to true. And that's honestly that's that's one of the things in, in this whole situation. I feel bad for Jay Sean. I mean, I've gotten to know him this year. I've gotten getting to watch him play, analyze him, study him. I mean, he's an easy guy to to enjoy watching. He's a guy that if you like the game of basketball, you like watching Jay Sean Tate. I mean, he just is a lot of fun. He's he's a guy that will come out after a game and speak his mind. He's a guy that that engages with the media, that has a personality. There's a lot to like there. And then you you as I've been re- researching and reporting on this story, like you find out that he's been dealing with the shoulder injury for a couple of weeks now. So coming into, um, you know, including the Nebraska game, in his last four games, he'd scored in double figures. He had two double-doubles in there. And all of that was with this shoulder injury that's going to require surgery and six months of, of rehab. So what's unfortunate to me in all of this is that, yes, he slapped the floor, the guy blew by him, tough play, bad play, you know, but yeah, you're going to end up on the not top 10 for that. But that's what people are going to remember right now. Like when you talk Jay Sean Tate, like that's the thing that people that sticks out to people. And what I've kind of been trying to remind people is like he played through a significant pain and a and a, a surgery or you know an, an injury that's going to require six months of rehab, and was scoring double figures in every game and leading them in a four game winning streak. Like the the shoulder slap didn't help, obviously. I mean, and, I, and you know you can't really you can't excuse that other than to say, well, it's one of those plays, and you know you learn, you move on, but um. You know what? What I do think about that play, though, is when you when you go back and you rewatch the game, 
he re-injured his shoulder. You could tell he hurt his shoulder in the first half. He threw a bounce pass with his left arm, which is where he's going to have to have the surgery, and he was in a lot of pain immediately after that. Had to come off the court. I was there in Nebraska. I, I mean, he was on the court, like on the or in the corner, like with the team trainer. He was he was bouncing up and down in, in a lot of pain. And then you can see when you watch the re- the the, um, the replay of the game after he gets blown by, he goes over and he talks to Thad for a few minutes. They actually made Ohio State take Jay Sean out of the game for a minute because Thad came out. It looks like they're talking about his shoulder. Jay Sean looks like he's in pain there, so I don't. I don't think that that necessarily helped the shoulder feel any better. But no, the slapping the floor had nothing to do with Jay Sean Tate needing, um, you know, sur- surgery to repair a torn labrum in his shoulder. That had already happened. So, despite an improbable run, Ohio State is headed to the NIT tournament, which is a is a postseason tournament where teams that don't make the main NCAA tournament are invited to to compete um, and kind of get some redeeming glory. How can this tournament help this young Ohio State team this year? Well, it, it could go one of two ways because it depends. It's all about like how much you, you actually put into it. I think back to the only time that Ohio State has missed the NCAA tournament when it's been eligible to make the tournament when Thad Mata has been at Ohio State was uh, the year that they went and won the whole thing. And that year you had Evan Turner as a freshman. You had John Diebler as a freshman. Um, you, had, uh, you, had, you had some guys. And, and you kind of got a feel with that team that, like, when they got when they – they were very much on the bubble – when they missed the tournament, you knew that this was a team that could put a run together. That run really kind of springboarded them toward next year where they, they made the tournament. The year after that, they made the Sweet 16. It really kind of put them on a positive trajectory after missing the tournament. It's, it remains to be seen with this team. Will they have the same resolve? Will they be able to – I don't think that this team can come out and win the NIT. I, I, don't, I don't think that this team has that kind of, of, uh, of talent, especially without Jay Sean. Um, but if you, can, if you get in the NIT – you know, like right now, I've seen one projection that has them as a five seed playing four seed LSU and Ben Simmons in the first round. Like, you know, you, you go into a game like that and you win it. Maybe you win another game. You know, if, if you can get into the NIT, win two games, win three games, like get a little bit of momentum behind you and beat some teams that aren't, or some teams that are of note, I, I think that does a lot for you in the way of momentum. I think that does a lot for you in the way of team growth. Um, it just depends on, on if they look at it as an opportunity to get in a tournament and improve or if they look at it as, oh, my gosh, we're in the NIT, who cares? And if that happens, then it doesn't do them a whole lot of good. Jay Sean Tate was the third-leading scorer on this team behind Mark Loving and Kata Bates-Diop. Who fills Tate's shoes if they're going to win a game or two in the NIT? Is it Cam Williams or is it, is it somebody else off the bench? Well, um, at least for for one night, it was Mickey Mitchell who, who replaced him in the starting lineup. And Mickey, I mean, they call him the point forward. He's a six, seven, uh, you know, guard and a forward body, really. He sees the court really well and plays with a lot of uh, a lot of energy and is a really strong guy in the paint, but is incredibly limited offensively. Um, I, I've actually been very surprised with that for as high of a level as he's played at um, in high school and AAU ball. That um, I mean, he, he had a layup the other night where it looked like when he jumped, he didn't realize the basket was 10 foot. And he maybe he thought uh, the ball like, hit the underside of the front of the rim when he, like, pretty much should have dunked the ball. It was very, it was kind of a, an eye-opening play where you went, he just, it, it, he's, he's not there yet. He's not ready to be a scorer at, at the collegiate level. So, so then, yeah, you look at a guy like Cam Williams and you say, well, you know, Cam's a much different player than, than Jay Sean Tate, but, you know, does Cam need to go from scoring nine points a game to trying to score 18 points a game? I mean, that's, you know, there's not really one guy that's, that's going to fill that role. I mean, I think they will probably mix and match in the starting lineup going forward. You know, maybe 
maybe Cam Williams starts, um, you know, on, on Sunday against Iowa instead of Nicky Mitchell, or, you know, maybe they start A.J. Harris and they move Jaquan Lyle to the two guard. I mean, there's, they have a couple of different options that they could try, but um, it, it's got to be collective. You know, you got to, you know, maybe A.J. Yeah, Harris needs to come off the bench and give you five points instead of two, and Cam Williams needs to hit down another jumper or two, and Mickey Mitchell needs to finish some layups, and, you know, then you talk about your scorers, Mark Loving, Kata Bates-Diop, Trevor Thompson. Those guys need another bucket or two a game. Like, there's there's a lot of guys that really have to step up just to replace the production that Jay Sean Tate left, much less his, his attitude is possible. Let's shift gears a little bit and look at the national scene for college basketball. This is the first time in recent memory that there's not been one, two, or three dominant teams that you think these are the guys that are going to be in the Final Four. The field is wide open when you look at the potential field of March Madness teams. I can make an argument without doing much much research for 12 to 15 teams that could potentially make the final four. How crazy is it that it's this wide open this late in the season? Yeah, it's, it's just a weird year where there's just, you know, you can argue whether it's a good thing or whether you think it's a bad thing because there's not, it's not like last year. I mean, you know, we knew going into last season, you knew Kentucky was loaded. You knew Duke was going to be really good. You knew Wisconsin was really good. I mean, you pretty much knew, I think last year, the preseason um, uh, top 25, I think, three of the four Final Four teams were in the top four when the season started. I mean, it was that's the kind of season you were looking at. You had a clearly established upper echelon of talent, and you don't have that this year. I mean, it's it's. I think what it, what it does is it makes for what should be a really exciting tournament. I mean, this is this is when you're going to see, you know, six seed, seven seed, and a nine seed advancing into the Sweet 16, and, you know, you're going to see a one seed, you know, go out in the second round, or who knows. Uh, it's it's just a, it's an interesting year because, like you said, there's there's not there's not a dominant team. You can make an art, you can make a convincing case for yeah, maybe even a dozen teams that all could be in the running to to you know make the final four, win a national championship. It should make for a really exciting tournament, even if there's not like that big storyline attached to it. Other than it's crazy, that's about the only storyline you can draw. The Ohio State men's basketball team hopes to finish the regular season strong, maybe get hot in the Big Ten tournament, and who knows, maybe even sneak into the NCAA tournament. But it's not looking good at this point, and the road gets tougher. They take on the number 8 Iowa Hawkeyes on Sunday. Adam Jardy covers the Buckeyes for the Columbus Dispatch. Thanks as always, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. The Columbus crew open a new season next week. Moffray Stadium should be packed after a second-place finish in the MLS last year. And there should be more people watching at home, too. That's right. The Columbus Crew SC announced this week what they call a landmark deal that will put most of the team's games on local over-the-air TV. Joining us now is Pat Murphy from the soccer website Massive Report. So, Pat, this deal is a little complicated, but essentially it puts all of the non-national TV games on local over-the-air TV, right? Yeah, so basically the the issue over the last two seasons was the, the team had a great deal with Time Warner Sports Channel um, or Time Warner Cable Sports Channel, but uh, which included you know broadcasting all the um, non-national televised games, and you know they have um, local like weekly shows and and things like that 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 were really well done and and everything, but nobody could see them if you didn't have Time Warner and then specifically this this channel. Um, so now what this is going to do is they're going to continue with Time Warner. But they're also going to, and and that will include the the shows outside of broadcasting games. But they're also going to uh, basically simulcast the games on other channels that everyone gets. 
The crew on their website yesterday called it a landmark deal. Is that really the case? Is this unique in the MLS landscape? Well, um, yes and no. Um, there are lots of teams that have deals that you know pretty much everybody can get, but there are other teams in the league that have similar issues to what uh, what Columbus has dealt with over the past two years. I think more the reason for the landmark deal is because it's going to be on on two different channels. What what they got here is the best of both worlds. You know, you still get the Time Warner coverage, which is like I said, was great. Um, you know, I've helped out with some of that and they do a great job. But um, you know, now all those people that were that were pushed away basically as, you know, this team has gotten better and a new owner has come in and really reached out to the city of Columbus, well, if Columbus can't see it, what good is that? So um, I think the the landmark part of it is that they're, you know, gonna have this this channel there are these channels that will allow you to watch the game as well as having all this other coverage that, that was really good and, you know, while a ton of people won't see it, you know, at least they still have it and, and, you know, there's still this buzz around the team and things like that. The crew have a really tight knit fan base. I don't want to say small, but it's a mm-hmm. it's a very tight knit, well connected community. And I don't imagine lack of access was that big of an issue, was it? Is this just an effort to recruit more fans or what are they what's what's the end game here? Yeah, I think what ultimately happened was the people who were going to watch the games found ways to watch them, whether it was going to a bar that was showing them, you know, they have viewing parties um, every week for the matches, or, you know, there's Pendox and 4th Street that show every game, um, or, you know, they found ways to find it online, something along those lines. So the people that were going to watch anyway were going to watch. Now what this does is, you know, the games are going to be on local channels. So if you're, you know, on a Saturday night flipping through and, you know, the game's on and you're a casual fan, you may tune in and watch it, whereas last year you couldn't do that. Um, so, you know, you, you do get more of the casual fan. It also just makes it easier. I've talked to, you know, several people who, you know, I know that used to be diehard fans, you know, and life's gotten in the way, whether they have kids or are married or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and you know, you can't go to the bar on a Saturday night every week. So now, you know, they can tune in from home and, you know, not have to, to worry about, oh, you know, how am I going to find the game this week? And this is a little counterintuitive, but this is an even bigger deal in an age of people cutting the cord where they have, you know, where you're you're going to stumble across games, flipping through the remote, uh, flipping through these channels, you know, 6.2 and 53 and the like, you know, whereas five, 10 years ago, you might not have noticed. Yeah. And one thing I think with, with that, and I think it's a pretty big deal, is with the old deal, um, the there's MLS Live, which is the internet broadcast that you can subscribe to. Um, it's was blacked out within a 60-mile radius, I believe, of Columbus. Um, so even if you paid to watch the MLS games on t- or on your computer, I'm sorry, or your tablet or whatever the case may be, you couldn't watch them live, even though you you, you paid for this. Well, that blackout's gone. Um, so now, you know, if if you're one of those people who's gotten rid of television in your house, you'll be able to stream the game no problem, even if you live, you know, in the Columbus area. Pat Murphy covers the Columbus crew for the website Massive Report. We've been talking about the crew's new TV deal, which puts an overwhelming majority of their games in the upcoming season on local over-the-air channels. Pat, thanks as always. Yeah, thank you, guys. And that will do it for this week's edition of After the Score. You can find a full archive of episodes using the WOSU Public Media mobile app. You can also follow us on Twitter at After the Score. Until next week, I'm Thomas Bradley. And I'm Steve Brown.